maybe. Hey, good morning. My name is Ashley Flowers. We're so glad you're here this morning. Kids already know what they're doing. You're welcome, if you're a kiddo, to head over this way to Kids Warehouse. And if you are just sitting down, go ahead, stand up, say hello to someone near you, tell them what you're doing tomorrow. It's a holiday, Memorial Day. Greet someone around you. I'm going to a wedding tomorrow, so if you're heading to a wedding in Greensboro, I will see you there on the dance floor. Hey, um, if you are newer to Warehouse or maybe you've never taken advantage, we've got free coffee over here in the coffee house. There's bathrooms back this way over in the kids' warehouse side. And then also, if you have not checked out um, the art installation that is in our art gallery right now, um, it's called About Face. And I made the mistake of reading all of the stories that go along with all the photographs this morning. There's a warning on there that says... This could be emotionally, it should say jarring. I think that there's another word there. It's an incredible um, art gallery. And maybe because for me, I need to know the story behind something. But that's what that art installation um, is doing. It helps us to see people who are often overlooked or maybe who seem invisible. And it helps restore the dignity that maybe we just bypass a lot of times. So check that out. Bring a tissue. I'm sure you can find one in the prayer room. Um, this morning, our lead pastor, Wes, will be finishing up our series um, called Belong. And he's talking about this morning what it looks like to belong to the body. And Mike, as well as other people who have shared during this sermon, they've talked about how easy it would be to belong if everybody was similar, everybody thought the same way, we had the same preferences, we had the same backgrounds, culturally we were the same, because that is incredibly comfortable for us. We gravitate towards what is comfortable. But in belonging to the body, we're incredibly different. Um, we have different viewpoints, and so we're often incredibly uncomfortable in that. And so this morning, as we move into the lament movement of our service, it brings us to a place where we recognize that there's brokenness inside of us, and it makes us also get in touch with the brokenness that's in the world. And so this morning, Wes has chosen a production that was done by Pixar called Day and Night. And so take a look, and again, welcome to Warehouse. So here's the big idea for today. The deepest, most satisfying belonging emerges out of difference rather than sameness. I love that short. It's one of my favorites. And I love it because Day thinks he's pretty special, and he is. But then you see him get a deeper joy he didn't even know existed by partnering with Knight. And Knight thinks he's better than Day, but then he realizes he needs Day to be complete. So that's the idea, that the deepest, most satisfying kind of belonging emerges out of difference. And yet, most communities, most groups, are built around sameness. No matter your interest, or your affinities, or your preferences, or your opinions, I guarantee you you can find a group, you can find a community that matches those interests, affinities,
preferences and opinions. Just the other day, I saw one of those medieval reenactment groups in Freedom Park with the armor on and the robes, and they were like, yeah, they were juggling and jousting and whatever. And I, I saw them, and I don't want mean to offend anybody, but I'm like, whoa. I mean, if you can find this group, you can find any group in our city that you want to, to just be with people that like the things you like. And now, I'm not saying that that's, that's a bad thing. To find people who, with common interests and affinity. No, it's great. Like, that's how friendships form, right? Of course, it can't just be that. Like, and, and finding people with common interests, that's, that's often how community begins or, or how you start to build relationships. So it's a good place to begin. I was leading a retreat in Houston last weekend, and I discovered that there were two guys there from Minnesota. Some guy knew my hometown, which is incredible because there's uh, not even a stoplight in my hometown of Breezy Point. And so, you know, immediately we had this connection of, oh, what's your favorite route in the Boundary Waters? And, you know, the snowmobiling culture near my hometown, all that stuff. And uh, we had this natural instant bond because of those common interests. So that's a good thing. That being said, though, this is still true. There is a depth of belonging and transformation that is only possible when vastly different people covenant to belong to each other, to bind themselves together for a common purpose. When people as different as day and night say, I am better with you. I bind myself to you. I belong to you. And this is exactly how God has designed the church to function, which makes the church unique. All these different parts, vastly different, sometimes like night and day, belonging to one body for one purpose to function beautifully together. The thing we need to realize in talking about belonging to the church or belonging to the body is that it's not natural for us. The natural thing is to gravitate towards sameness, toward those common interests. And left to ourselves, we will adopt those patterns of life, these these patterns of binding according to sameness or common interest. uh, and, And that might feel good at first, but it is not the best for us if we're longing for vibrant wholeness, if we're longing for fullness of life. We need to realize that this is, this is a struggle, that we gravitate toward sameness and toward consumerism. And, and that, my friends, is why, not only today, but every Sunday, why we begin with God's revelation of truth in Scripture, because there are so many things that are natural for us that aren't best for us. And so we need to have truth revealed to us. We need to be drawn into a bigger world and a bigger story that really is going to transform us. And so we start with Scripture, we start with God's revelation, and we go from there. Before we get to our text for today, I just want to summarize where we've been in this series. I think it's helpful to look back and and look at the various biblical perspectives we've already explored on belonging. We've looked at ultimate belonging, and, and we saw how the only belonging that can satisfy our deepest desires is belonging to Christ. We saw how belonging to a community boils down to putting death our our selfish desires and keeping in step with the Spirit and loving each other. 
Belonging to the drama of corporate worship, like we are today, involves not just spectating something that's going on, but participating through common action, playing your part. Belonging to the truth requires both the high challenge of conviction and the high support of compassion. We've looked at belonging to friends and how if this is going to be a part of our story, we need long-suffering commitment to each other. We've explored belonging to a mission, which means committing to live for God by living for our neighbors. And belonging to a place. Last week, Nate showed us this means being rooted in a particular place while connected to others for the sake of God's mission. And today then, we're summing this up with this idea of belonging to the body, this body that is not made up of all one part or even just a few parts, but all of these different parts that need each other to be whole. And the section of scripture we're going to look at to reveal truth in this area for us is in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, Before we go there, I want to give a little context for what we're going to hear and and why this was written in the first place. Paul is the author. He wrote this letter to a church that was struggling with division, struggling to be whole, struggling to be united. But it was one church. This is early on in the story of Christianity, and there was basically one church in every town and every city. We don't know how long this church here continued to meet just in one place. It probably, after a few decades, started meeting in various homes around the city. And yet it was still considered one church, the church in Corinth. So here's here's the major difference between the first century Corinthian context of this letter and the 21st century Charlotte context. It's that in Corinth, if you didn't like what was going on with the church, or didn't get along with the people, or just didn't feel like you belonged, you could not pick up and go to another church. Major difference, right? You're stuck with the church, (laughs) the one church in Corinth. And so there, there are two options, basically. Belong to the church, and these folks who are trying to follow Jesus together in the city, or don't. Those were your options. And and that's why Paul is so passionate about unity. Like, guys, you have got to get along. You have got to take all of these differences and persevere in the midst of them, whether culturally or racially or socioeconomically or politically or whatever. He's he's addressing a lot of those. So when when you think about our context, then, there, there are vast differences, of course. Theologically, the church is still one, although churches are spread over all of this terrain of of differences, theologically, culturally, racially. So in reality, it doesn't feel like the church is one. And what what happens then, if you don't like one aspect of one particular church or don't connect with the people, you can just pick up and attach yourself to a different church. It it, it fits kind of that cultural value. And and part of that is fine because that is simply a reality of the culture we live in, and and, um, that's okay. But there's part of that that does damage to the body, that weakens it. Because the body requires all the various parts to recognize that difference is actually the point and to appreciate and commit to each other over the long haul. So with all that said, uh, let's look at this passage from 1 Corinthians 12. I invite you to stand with me if you're able and willing, and we'll read this together. Or I'll read it and you can listen. All right. 
Starting in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That's God's truth for us today. Thanks be to him. Okay. Lots in this passage. So I'm going to start by briefly just listing some of the foundational truths here. And then I'm going to go quickly on to the practical, all right, how is Paul encouraging us to belong to each other and to the body? So in terms of of foundational truths, we see four things. First, the source of our belonging is Christ and Christ alone. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is where it all begins. There would be no living body to belong to without Christ, who is the living head and who makes new life possible. Second, the mark of that belonging is baptism. Baptism doesn't make you a part of the body. There's nothing magical about it. God's spirit is the one who does that, but it is a beautiful sign and a celebration, a visible celebration of our belonging to this mysterious body. So if you identify with Christ and you haven't been baptized, that's the next natural step. Third, the guarantee of our belonging is the Spirit. And this is all crammed into the first two verses of, the, of that passage. Basically, as Paul is saying, ultimately, it, it is a Spirit who forges this body, Spirit who keeps this body together, a Spirit who gifts this body So it's not our work, it's not our good decisions, it's the Spirit who empowers us to love each other in a way that makes belonging possible. Which leads us to the last part, the whole context of belonging is the body, which is this metaphor that Paul is using for the church. You can't belong to Christ without belonging to the body. It's like saying you can just take a toe and just attach it to a head and call it a body. Like you, you You need the whole body to say, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. I, I can get that on an emotional, experiential level, um, but theologically and practically, it's absurd. It, it's, it's like saying you can right, just put the body together however you want. If you live in Christ, you need to live in the body as difficult as it is. So th- that's the context from which Paul's approaching the how 
of belonging to the body. So that's way easier said than done. The Corinthian church was struggling big time on lots of different levels. Every church struggles to some extent. And so it's helpful to see how Paul traces out what are the actual barriers. Let's be honest about that. How do we then address them? How do we live out in light of some of those barriers? And so he's going to address three common struggles or three, three common barriers to belonging to the body. There's the feeling of inferiority. I'm, I don't have a part. I'm not good enough. Then there's the, the illusion of independence, that I don't need the rest of the body or I'm better. And then the experience of isolation. So you, you can struggle to belong to the body because you feel inferior, because you are operating with the illusion that you can do the spiritual life on your own or that you're in some way better, or if you experience isolation and loneliness. And I bet all of us in the room are identifying with at least one of those. And just think about it. Where, where have you most struggled with your experience with church? However long that's been. Maybe it's just today. We can all map ourselves on this. And so... I long for wisdom, and I long for truth. What do I do about it? So Paul addresses the feeling of inferiority first. It starts in verse 15. If you've got a Bible out, he's saying, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Feeling inferior. It would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. So the rationale is, if you feel, just because you feel like you don't belong, because you don't fit, because you don't have the right gifts, because you don't have the right personality, because you don't have the right background, that actually is even more reason for you to belong. Paul's response is, you are way more important than you think you are. You are way more beautiful than you think you are. Your function is way more critical than you think it is. So no matter what part you play, Paul's saying, you're, you're necessary for this body to function. Like, the body needs you. There's a lot of stories I could tell about this, personally, and of people I know. But uh, the one I keep coming back to is my friend Dennis, who I worked with a long time ago, when I was, back when I was a youth pastor in St. Louis. Uh, Dennis was, like, my favorite uh, student volunteer. Uh, but he didn't feel like he should be the favorite. He once called himself the appendix of the body of Christ in a conversation, which we're learning more about the appendix these days. That, uh, it's amazing, actually. Um, but so, <laughs> he was single. Uh, he was about 45 years old when we were working together, incredibly shy. And he really didn't think that his role mattered, despite his faithfulness. So he, he showed up and he was present Every single time there was a gathering, there was a, uh, whether it was a fun event or like a Bible study, Dennis was there. And he kind of just lingered on the sidelines. He was super shy, and, and sometimes he ended up having conversations with students who were also on the sidelines. And, but after one volunteer training event, Dennis came up to me and basically said, like, I, I, think, I think I need to throw in the towel. Like, I feel like I don't do, I'm not doing anything to contribute I don't have a role. feels like I'm, I'm, this is a waste of my time. And I listened and I asked some questions as he lamented some of that. Um, 
And I said, because it was so obvious to me, what I had been observing, I said, Dennis, this is how I see your part in the body. I see a man who's radically committed to being present. I could stop right there. You're radically committed to being present, just being there with these students. I see you welcoming those who feel unwelcomed without pressuring them to be something they're not. And I see your shy smile making others smile. You, you might never be up front. You might not feel like you've got this, you know, role that matters. But you are having an incredible impact. Just wait. Like, all right, man. <laughs> I guess maybe you're right. Um, and it was actually several years later when we were celebrating the graduation of some of our seniors, like we did here last, <clears throat> last weekend. Uh, one of them was vulnerable as they were sharing their stories. And he said all through junior high and high school he had struggled to belong. Um, and he had, he had various struggles with that. And uh, he had at times, uh, or several, over and over again, uh, considered suicide as a part of his story. But then he looked, he looked directly at Dennis. And he said, you're the reason I'm still alive. Because every week, you didn't pressure me to be someone I'm not. You didn't even pressure me to talk. You were just, you were there, and I knew you were going to be there. And that kept me going. I mean, Dennis, like, weeped. Weeped? Wept. Uh, He was weeping. Um, It was a beautiful moment for recognizing, yes, like, that's it. That's it. No part of the body is inferior. It doesn't matter what personality you have. It doesn't even matter what role you play. Even the appendix is critical to life. And, and my encouragement to you, however you're thinking about this for your own story, is just to begin to celebrate who you are and your, how God has uniquely put you together and, and how that then might lead you to serve out of who you are in the context of the body. So, Paul moves from addressing inferiority to saying, here's, here's the way to find belonging. Don't serve according to who you think people, how people think you should be. Serve out of who you are because there are no inferior parts or roles. In fact, I love it. Paul goes on to say, it's actually the parts that you think are inferior are actually more important. So, I was thinking about examples here. If we go along the lines of the power of first impressions, I mean, what's the first impression when you come here to warehouse? Parking. And I, I've actually heard stories of people who it's made their day and their week and even like changed the trajectory of something in their life because a parking person smiled at them. And guided them to a spot and greeted them. Welcome. Huge power in that role. Something extraordinary emerges when people are simply serving out of who they are. Doesn't need to be up front. Doesn't even need to be known necessarily. It can work out that beauty of being the body together. So many examples. But let's go into the second barrier here. This one. This one's challenging as well. Second barrier is really the opposite of the first, the illusion of independence, uh, because you have people in different scenarios, right? The people who feel 
inferior, and so don't think they have a role to play. And then the people who like, oh, I know my role, and uh, I'm pretty good at it, and I really don't need other people, you know, to do it, already know they have a privileged role. The critical step here is realizing you need all of the other parts of the body in order to be you. So this is in verses uh, 21 and 22. If you want to look there, um, Paul's saying, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The hand can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker, because they're not, are indispensable. And then he, he states down in verse 24 that God intentionally put the body together in order to give greater honor to the parts that we, we don't often honor, that need to receive more honor. The implication being this should be the ongoing practice of the church. And that is what made the church revolutionary. Let me explain. From the beginning, here's a group of people intentionally honoring those in society who felt less and least honored of all. Think about who Jesus honored. Think about who Jesus pursued. Beggars, widows, prisoners, social outcasts, notorious sinners, the poor, children, people without any religious background. And what was Jesus teaching about this? The first will be last, and the last will be first. This is to be the movement of how we seek to belong to the body. In order for the body to flourish and for all people to belong to the body, those with privilege must honor and embrace dependence on those without privilege. Here's what I mean. The rich must honor and embrace their dependence on the poor. The well-connected must honor and embrace their dependence on those without social capital. The mature adults, whatever that means, (laughs) must honor and embrace dependence on those who are younger, children, teenagers. Those of us who are white must recognize our privilege and must honor and embrace dependence on people of color. Those of us with more or less regular physical, intellectual, and social abilities must honor and embrace dependence on those who have different abilities. You guys, this is what makes the church unique. This is what makes the church revolutionary. And and I want to be the first to own, as lead pastor of this church, we've got a long way to go. Can I hear an amen or a... I think you're right, Wes. Yeah, it's good to start there, right? Like, let's just be humble. (laughs) We've got a long way to go. And most churches do, actually. Uh, Like most churches, we are on a journey, and it's a slow one. Uh, But because of that, uh, we can't ignore this priority of honoring those without privilege. We need to be intentional about it if we're going to move this story and if we want people to really belong and recognize their goal, recognize their role here as a gift. And so one way of doing that is this practice of intentional hospitality. And we've talked about this a fair bit over the last year, 
Um, but I'm talking about welcoming people into your, your own life and into this space who differ from you with an expectation that they will enhance your life. Not with the expectation that you're bringing something to them, which you probably are, because all relationships go both ways. But with the expectation that they enhance your life. One of my favorite stories about this, and it's related, I promise, might not seem like it at first, but uh, there once was a, uh, there was a couple with a young child who was, they were trying to get used to life with a young child, and the fact that they hadn't gone out and had fun in like years, or no, it's a few months in this case. And so they finally made a plan. They're like, all right, we're going to go out. Um, they, they did not have a lot of money, though, and so they couldn't get a babysitter, and they took their baby along with them, and they went to a jazz club, something they had loved to do before kids, and so they're like, let's, let's go for it. They go to this jazz club, and, and they felt a little out of place uh, with a baby in a jazz club, but um, things were going pretty well, and then the baby woke up. I mean, like, really woke up and made its needs known and started crying. And people all, you know, imagine this, like, subdued, cool jazz club. You're like, what are you doing? Like, get your baby out of here. Um, you're interrupting our musical enjoyment. And so the parents are, are hurrying to soothe their baby, you know, doing what they can. But, like, this kid would not be consoled. And so they, they're like, right, I mean... I guess we got to go. They start gathering their things, and they stand up, and they're about to leave. And the lead saxophonist starts improvising off the cries of the baby. Like, and the whole band starts following his cue, and they are improvising to a baby cry. And the baby stops crying, and, but they keep going with it. And I mean, people get to their feet, and they're like, yeah amazing stay you guys need to stay you know like come on your baby's welcome here the crowd is absolutely delighted by that kind of creativity and it makes me ask what if our church were known as a group of people who improvised off the gifts of those who feel like they don't belong man think about that whether that's in in our individual lives or in our corporate gathering what kind of beauty would emerge from that creative improvisation off these beautiful people. It's worth sitting with that, for sure. But let's go to the last barrier here. This is where a lot of us are, I think. The experience of isolation. Not being connected to people in, in ways that, that we want, that, that really matter. Whether that's in hard times or in good times, And to address this, Paul says in verse 26, if one part suffers, every part should suffer with it. If one part is honored, every part should rejoice with it. So this is a big phrase, but what he's moving us to embrace is covenantal solidarity. I'll unpack this as I close. It's it's taking initiative and receiving initiative for the solidarity part in sharing experiences, sharing stories, sharing pain, sharing joy. That helps us grow to be more connected, right? But that word covenantal is, is key because, here we go back to how we started, deep, satisfying belonging is the fruit of unconditional promises, of long-term commitment, commitment to persevere when things are tough. Because the point is, someone's suffering, are you going to leave? No, everyone suffers with them. 
Someone's rejoicing. Does that make you awkward? No. Everyone rejoices with them. So it's long-term commitment to move through everything that life has for us together because we've covenanted together. True belonging is not possible within contractual relationships. And it's certainly not possible within consumer relationships. You won't find true belonging if a relationship is based on fulfilling what you think you want or need because our desires are often way too small. Case in point, how often do we desire for people without as much privilege as we have to enhance us? That's what God desires for us. But in order to experience that, there needs to be a deep commitment to stick with it. And in that slow story, to experience something that we couldn't even imagine. True belonging happens when you covenant to be with someone for the long haul. That's true with God. It's true with marriage. It's true with friendship. And it's true with the church. It's, it's true. It's, it's how God meant relationships and community to function. The deeper the commitment, the deeper the possibility of belonging. There's a lot today, so uh, let me sum up and point to some really practical opportunities as well. So we've seen the source of our belonging is Christ. The mark of our belonging is baptism. The guarantee of our belonging is the spirit, the context, the body. And when it comes to belonging, the very real barriers are the feeling of inferiority, feeling like you don't need people or that you're independent and superior and the feeling of isolation. And Paul's encouraging us, God is encouraging us through Paul that the antidotes are serving out of who you are, practicing intentional hospitality and embracing covenant solidarity. The church can do some things to help you with that, but a lot of it is taking initiative as well and and looking for opportunities. Uh, But in terms of what the structures that we try to set up as a church to make that happen. Obviously, there's, there's uh, small groups, there are medium-sized gatherings, there's Sunday morning, there's, there's uh, opportunities to engage in our neighborhood together. So rather than doing this in announcements, I want to feature a couple of these now because like, th- these are the pathways, these are opportunities. And if you're looking for ways to connect, if you're looking for ways to belong, maybe you could start with some of these. So first off, there's a men's gathering this Wednesday. If you're longing to connect as a guy and and get to know some people and maybe develop friendships, come out on Wednesday, 7 p.m. It's low-key, some discussion, some music, some prayer. We're going to be looking at what that long view really means. And then the next day, on Thursday, if you have ever been involved with our partnership uh, with our local school just down the road, Ashley Park, or if you're just interested in maybe being involved with Ashley Park, come out to celebrate and learn more on Thursday. That's uh, 7 as well. That's going to be Both of these are in the coffee room. That's, a, that's an incredible way to belong, is to join in our movement uh, to serve our neighbors and to walk alongside them at Ashley Park. And then we're going to start a new series next week, and during that series, a couple opportunities to meet and to study. One is a meetup on Thursday evenings starting June 14 at Old Mech. And then the women are going to be having a book study. And, and of course, small groups will continue as well during that time. But look, there's all kinds of opportunities to connect. Maybe it's just you're looking for one. Uh, Ask us if you have any questions about any of these. And all this and, and more opportunities are always available on our Skinny and in our community calendar. So look there if you're ever wondering. But I don't want you to forget, those are all wonderful opportunities. 
they're not an end in themselves. Ultimate belonging is to Christ, and so we are hoping that all of these are driving us into uh, that belonging, to rest there. And so I think it's fitting to end the way that I started this whole series, which is to commend a statement of faith from the 16th century, because we need old wisdom. It's from a, a confession called the Heidelberg Catechism. And in contrast to so much wisdom today that says, you know, you, f- you first and foremost belong to yourself, this confession says it's actually the opposite. It says, what's your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's bring that into conversation with God. God, it's actually mind-boggling to consider how you moved heaven and earth and, and you experienced rejection and isolation and even death itself just so that we could belong to you. Your love for us is beyond what we can fathom. So we're humbled and we're grateful and we're expectant of how we can experience more of that love and belonging um, and at the same, same time, we think about um, all the, the ways we try to find comfort and belonging that go against you or besides you. And so just in a, in a moment of silence, we want to talk to you about those things and confess before you in all honesty uh, where we struggle and the things that we put in that place of ultimate belonging where only you should be. Thank you, Father, that all of these other forms of belonging we've been talking about flow from you, especially belonging to your church, the body. And so when we feel inferior in this body, empower us by your spirit to serve out of who we are. When we feel superior and try to be independent, move us to honor those with less privilege, uh, to listen to them with humility expectation and depend on the gift of who they are. And when we experience isolation, help us to give and receive solidarity in times of suffering and in times of joy and give us the courage to bind to one another and to commit to each other for the long haul. And in in this process, in all of it, may our ultimate belonging to you bring us even more joy and fuel our love for each other and our love for our neighbors. To the glory of... You, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. You guys can actually stand, uh, stay standing today. How about Ella Norton on the violin, everybody? Sorry for embarrassing you. Lady on the keys looks pretty good as well. Um, actually, for the audio, I should explain that's my wife. And she doesn't, uh, she doesn't often play, so it's fun. All right. Um, you should, if you already belong to Warehouse, have just received an email with all the things I talked about before. It's called Upcoming Events at Warehouse. So uh, I was just checking. Yep, it's there. So if you don't receive our emails, or you think you should, first check your spam. 
See if it's there. Uh, but if you know you don't receive our emails and would like to, just put your email address and your name on one of those connecting cards and drop it in the yellow box on your way out. It was so good to be with you guys this morning, and I hope that it works out for you to come back next week. We're going to launch into a new series called Common Tables. And this series is about uh, looking at the mission of Jesus through the meals that Jesus had with people, and then letting that launch us into a nine-week practice of nine different kinds of meals. It's going to be fun. A good summer thing to do together, common tables. So love to see you back, same time, same bad place. Uh, Besides that, uh, let us know too if you're filling out one of those cards, if there's any other way that we can help you connect here. If God is stirring something and you'd like to make use of our prayer room, that's right there around the corner with the mural on it. Um, And if you are a regular giver to Warehouse, that's part of your worship here. You can give in those yellow boxes on the way out as well. If you would... I would love you to reach out your hand or your hands to receive God's benediction just as a sign of receptivity, openness, and expectation. And I've chosen to use Romans 15, 5 to 6, a beautiful fit for the day. So receive this. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, You may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in everything you do today, this week, and forever. Go in His grace. Thanks for listening to the Warehouse 242 podcast. If you have any questions or want to find out more about Warehouse, visit warehouse242.org. Come join us on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 2307 Wilkinson Boulevard in Charlotte. Thanks for listening.